0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Well, talking about great guests, we have a great guest who we have on every single year. Because he always updates us with wonderful news about privacy and what's going on in the world. And we are thrilled because I get his newsletter, and I've been getting it for about 15 years. It's called the Privacy Journal. And Robert Ellis Smith, our great friend, is the publisher of this wonderful journal. And he has been actually publishing this journal since 1975 when he was two years old. So this is this is something. Yeah, he was always brilliant. And let me tell you, if you haven't heard him before, let me tell you a little bit about him. And also you can listen to the archived interviews at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and see his bio and his photo. And we link to his URL and all that good stuff. But let me tell you a little bit about him. Robert Ellis Smith is a journalist who uses his training as an attorney to report on the individual's right to privacy. And as I told you, he published this privacy journal since 1974. It's a great monthly newsletter that I get, and it really keeps up to date on what's happening in the computer age. Robert is a frequent speaker and writer, and he also does a lot of testimony for Congress. And he talks about privacy issues, and he has even compiled a clearinghouse of information on the subject, which includes such things as computer data banks, credit and medical records, the internet, electronic surveillance, all sorts of things of the law of privacy, including physical and psychological privacy. Robert L. Smith is also the author of Ben Franklin's website, Privacy and Curiosity from Plymouth Rock to the Internet. And this was the first and only published history of privacy in the United States. He has also authored Our Vanishing Privacy and The Law of Privacy Explained and Privacy, How to Protect What's Left of It and Work Rights, a book describing individual work rights in the workplace, privacy rights in the workplace and the Big Brother Book of Lists. And he also publishes the compilation of state and federal privacy laws and celebrities and privacy. And even another book called War Stories, which I remember reading one of the first books that I bought from him. And the New York Times says that Robert Ellis Smith sounds the alarm about maintaining freedom and privacy in the computer age. And he was called a principal critic. And Privacy Journal is called the Privacy Watchdog, according to Time magazine, and that's why I get it. There's so much more that I could tell you about him, but just briefly, we're so thrilled to have him. He's been on Face the Nation, Nightline and All Things Considered for Radio, and he's been on our show all every single year. This is this you know, the sixth year of our show. So we're just so thrilled. He is um, taught at Harvard College, University of Maryland, and we're Emer- Emerson College and Brown University, and we're just so thrilled to know him and to get his publication. He's just great. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, it's good to join you. Thank you. I guess the only thing you left out, you said I bring wonderful news. Quite often I don't. Sometimes it's negative about losses (laughs) to privacy, but I can also tell you about gains to privacy, too.
1: That's what I want to hear. I, I have to tell you that my Son um, just told me he interviewed with a new company that I thought that really violated privacy, and he said, Mom, forget it. There is no privacy. So <laughs> I wasn't real happy to hear this, but um, what can I tell you? That's what the younger generation seems to think. That's true. Yeah. So why don't we start out, and you can you suggest some simple steps for protecting privacy online?
2: Yeah. First thing to do is Google yourself in every possible way. Um different variations on your name and Google your children and your spouse as well, and see what turns up. Uh, There might be some websites that have some inaccurate information or some information you think is inappropriate up there. I've even seen information from church bulletins and from results from marathon races uh, posted. It's pretty incredible. I I, I don't know whether people realize that their contributions to political campaigns are uh, on the Internet, and what that leads to is uh, to your phone number and to your home address Um, so we don't realize that a lot of information that we fill out in pen and ink also finds its way to the internet and as you've been preaching for years people should look at their own credit report in the three major credit bureaus they should check their medical file as now is their right nationwide and make sure that nobody else's information is in your file and that everything in there is uh, is accurate and uh, also uh... I, I, you ought to experiment with different uh, search engines. Uh, take a look at what Google does, and if you feel that uh, they're disclosing too much information about the people who use that for searches, uh, try Bing, which is a competitive service for Microsoft. Or There's even one called Inquix from Europe that you can use that will totally disguise uh, your identity uh, as, as a searcher. So uh, those are some of the things you can do
1: and you know what we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California and kids go on for every social networking there is and even I do I mean I'm found that in order to be out there in the business world you know I have a Facebook account of course it's public and I don't put anything on there that I don't want everybody to know I have a LinkedIn account that I don't put up anything that I don't want any everybody to know and I tweet I do all these things And I'm real, real careful what I do. I mean, I don't put up my real birthday and I don't put where I was born on there, even though that's one of the things. But, you know, it isn't just the young people that are are just being really open on this social networking. It's everybody. I mean, I am shocked. I'm on a bunch of uh, listservs that people say things on there that I'm really shocked that they would even put up there. What do you think about that, Bob?
2: I can't add much to what you said, except uh, those of us uh, who are in adult age, I guess, are much more cautious about that. That's the key to using Facebook and LinkedIn and the other social media sites. Be cautious about it. Just because you uh, are a member and participate doesn't mean that you have to disclose your whole life to it. It's it's discouraging that social media sites like that are encouraging people to uh, put misinformation up on the Internet and more and more. I think we will see misinformation on the Internet, and more and more because of social media. We're seeing a lot of that information blocked to other people. I, as a journalist, notice that when I want to Google public people. I find that a lot of their information is behind a wall in uh, one of the social media sites. So people should be extreme, use extreme caution. I, I think to get started with Facebook and to explore their privacy settings probably takes a full half day of your life. That may be necessary to do.
1: And and they keep changing it, and and that's the problem, too. You know, when you were talking about Google yourself, or and I don't know if Bing allows you to Bing yourself, too. I've never tried that. I've Googled myself, but I know with Google, I set up alerts. So I have an alert. You go into the search, and you say Google alert, and then I set up that the Google alert for Mari Frank, Mari J. Frank, Mari J. Frank Esquire. I put every like you were talking about, every way that your name is is used, and I've put it up there, and then whenever my name comes up on the internet, they send me an email alert and then I look into you know, I look and see what the URL is. I look at it and see if it's correct or whatever it is, or maybe it's somebody else and it looks like me. I, I found out that there's a physician now named Mari Frank mari Frank m d wow. wow. <laughs> so you know sometimes I get her alerts instead of mine, but wow. um but I, that's I also
2: a- suggest people Google the last four digits of their social security number and the their full social security number and and um, uh, Google your phone number too, and see what turns up,
1: oh, yeah, so um. It, People ask you, I'm sure, like they ask me, is it even safe to give out the last four digits of the Social Security number? What about that?
2: I used to think it was. It was called what I what we call pretty good privacy, but I no longer think that now because it can be combined with the other numerals fairly easily. The first three digits uh, tell in what state it was issued to you, and the middle two are a approximation of when you got the number. It doesn't replicate the year, but... It is a chronological number that tells when you got it. So the last four are the toughest for an identity theft to figure out, so that uh, if that falls into the wrong hands, then it's really not difficult for an identity thief to get the complete uh, number. So I'd I'd recommend not. No, I don't don't think it's so good. In Rhode Island, we had a law, I think it was one of the first and probably the only one that disallows merchants from collecting Social Security numbers at the point of sale. And uh, as a consequence of that, which has been around for about 10 years now, merchants were asking for the last four digits. And uh, I checked into it, and I, I, I came to the conclusion it was not safe. And we got an amendment passed this year that prohibits gathering all or part of the Social Security number.
1: And why would a merchant need your social security number? It make, I mean, it makes no sense to me. I, I understand if they need your credit card number, and I understand if they need to, um, like, if you're writing a check, that they might want your driver's license number. But w- what is the reason that they'd want your social security number?
2: Well, the reasons are pretty weak. As best I can tell, they want to lead you believe that uh, that further helps to uh, have them locate you in case your check uh, bounces or if you're trying to imitate somebody else. Uh, they claim that they have it in their files and if the two numbers match what the individual gives on the phone or over the internet, if that matches the number in their files, then that means that they're speaking to the person who claims uh, who he or she is. Um, many, many databases do not have complete um, social security numbers or have them at all. So uh, I think the the reasons are rather weak and uh, I don't think it's a, it's a very good uh, device for determining the true identity of somebody else. I think they're other more sound ways of doing it, so.
1: Absolutely, and and as you and I both know, the social security number is the key to the kingdom of identity theft.
2: It is, and so that's mainly why we tell people not to give it out, yes.
1: Yeah, there's no reason, you know, I just got an email from um, the the consumer had put together some best practices for identity theft services, and they're starting to get a lot of questions, and they're saying, okay, um, why do I have to give my Uh, my social security number to my doctor if my health insurance number is an alternate number?
2: Well, it's just once again, for convenience, it is the (laughs) Medicare and the Medicaid number. And if you're up in years, probably the doctor's office is going to want that around just in case. But once again, that's not a strong enough rationale. Uh, They want it. uh, When in doubt, they'll gather it. That's what the FBI has done for years. That's what doctor's offices are now doing. They, think that their insurance company will ask for it at some future point. They can always call you and get it later if if there is a problem. So uh, uh, they're wise, I think, to keep it out of their files in case their files are hacked and they're not responsible for disclosing their patient's social security numbers. So you and I, we both try to get people into the mindset that they don't have to give it out just because people ask for it. We're asked for stuff all the time, and we should challenge that and ask why. And in the course of... uh, that process not only do we make the people who are gathering the information think twice but we ourselves can come to a conclusion as to whether it's a very sound reason or not
1: exactly so and we can always think of something alternate to give them you know and yes. and and so that i mean anytime my dent, i don't have dental insurance but anytime they ask me for the social security number i just say you don't need it you know, if you want my driver's license number, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, give, I'll give you something else. I'm not going to give you my social security number. Right. How about these medical records? This is really scary with all of these electronic medical records. How safe are those, Bob?
2: Well, you know, it's just really surprising. I, nothing should astound me anymore after <laughs> all of my years in this business. But it astounds me that recognized medical institutions allow employees to transfer medical data to laptops and take them on airplanes and trains and buses and boats and cars and everything else. And uh, I think there ought to be a rule that no, no, no databases with personal information about people like medical information and credit information ought ever to be transferred to portable media. We got along without it fine before we had the availability of laptops. And it's pretty clear that there are a lot of people around that want to steal laptops, not for the data, but for the hardware. And so they can sell or they can try to extort money from people uh, when they get their social security numbers, or they can sell that information to uh, Internet thieves and then thereby multiply their gain from the theft. So
1: yeah, we should you know, assume even, that
2: yeah. medical institutions, even good ones, are going to transfer this to uh, portable media.
1: Exactly. And so I
2: say uh, be cautious, and that's one good reason why uh, you should explain to your doctor why you don't think it's wise to give your social security number uh To the doctor.
1: Exactly. And, you know, you were talking about how these thieves will steal the laptop thinking that they're going to make money on the laptop. And then they find they have a treasure trove of something that's worth far more than the laptop because the information data is, like you said, it can be used to extort money from people and from institutions. I mean, that's the treasure trove is the information.
2: That's the way it's working, yeah.
1: Yep. Now uh, you know, with these medical records, the other thing I worry about with these medical records is, you know, even when they're sitting on the hospital's computer, you know, with the hacking, I worry about that. And then I worry about the the accuracy. I I had a procedure done, and I wanted to get a copy of the electronic medical record, and it was, and it had me mixed with somebody else.
2: <laughs> not not and, an unusual occurrence. And with my name, Robert Smith.
1: Oh, yeah. Not
2: unusual. I review my medical record uh, in all sorts of states of undress about once a year. And uh, I it is not unusual for me to discover in the paper file some information about some other Robert Smith. And um, it's, it's really essential that we check our medical files. It took a, a long number of years to battle to get this right, as you know. And uh, that's something we can do. That's not absolute assurance, but that does help a lot to make sure that at least the paper record is accurate in the first instance.
1: And then what, what is a little bit worrisome is that, okay, so if you correct it on one medical record, you don't know who else it was transferred to, or you may know, you can ask who else did you transfer it to, but if they're going to transfer it to a billing department, they're going to transfer it, they're outsourcing it somewhere else, and somebody else is doing dictation, and somebody else is um, doing you know some other doctor and some other radiologist, and You know, who else is getting this erroneous information? And now it's electronic, so it's just transferred in a nanosecond.
2: Yeah, and most notably to your insurance carrier. And because most insurance is administered through your place of employment, it would not be unusual for that information to find its way into the human resource offices to where you work.
1: Yeah, anywhere. So, we are speaking with a wonderful friend who I've now known and been. I, gee, I interviewed you when I first did my very first book back in 1998. Do you remember that?
2: I certainly do. I remember that. So <laughs> somebody was coming up with a book uh, to give people advice on identity theft.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So anyway,
2: you, uh, you, you didn't sit back passively. You got even.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we got some good laws. Thank God, you know, and I had a, a whole team of friends and, and supporters around that were on the same path. So that was great. And you were one of the leaders before me. So I'm just thrilled. So we are speaking with Robert Ellis Smith, who is the publisher of Privacy Journal, which I get every single month now for probably 15 years. And I'm thrilled about that. And he is the author of several books. And you can find out more about him at um, pri- uh, kuci.org/privacypiracy, and also at your website at privacyjournal.net.
2: Yes. So Thanks that- for mentioning that. And uh, people will find several links there where they can email me, and I'll be happy to send uh, a free sample copy of the newsletter to uh, any of your uh, listeners. And. We'll give them a special discount on the newsletter as well.
1: Oh, well, that's wonderful because it is a great newsletter. So let's talk about federal agencies. You know, do they punish companies that violate individual privacy? Do we have any anything going that way?
2: More and more we're seeing that. The uh, Federal Trade Commission, which enforces uh, rules of privacy with regard to websites and credit bureaus and businesses in general, are levying fines more and more and more and more of these fines are starting to hurt. Uh, So I think that's a very encouraging development. The uh, general federal trade law prohibits unfair trade, and this commission, which is an independent commission in Washington, has ruled uh, many years ago that uh, to promise something on your website about protecting customer information and then not keeping that promise is an unfair Great practice, and they will investigate. They're pretty speedy at this too, and will levy some fines. Now we also have the law protecting medical confidentiality. It's called HIPAA, and most people have heard of it because they've been asked to sign HIPAA forms in their doctors' offices. HIPAA, and um, in, in early 2009, Congress beefed up the HIPAA law to to uh, stiffen the penalties, and um, the HIPAA office, which is in the U.S. Department of Health and human services has levied some fines but they have not been as vigorous as the federal uh, uh trade commission unfortunately in fact they made a, a major f- fine last february i think uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.4 million dollars against a very arrogant uh, health provider in uh, suburban washington they have not yet collected that fine and i keep bugging them every month and we <laughs> still don't have a clear answer yeah that's my function in life to keep bugging these federal agencies and still they have not collected that fine. They're acting as if this is the first time ever somebody has tried to weasel out of paying a federal fine. Mm. They so, tell me they don't know what to do. They don't know how what you do after somebody uh, says we refuse to pay.
1: Oh, my goodness. So, you know, you... Can't you go in and just get a judgment against? What about state agencies? You know, California, I thank God I'm from California. We've had a lot of great privacy laws. So let's talk about how the state agencies are, are doing things to enforce privacy.
2: Some have been quite good. Uh, Missouri and uh, and Minnesota, the, notably the attorneys general in those states, uh, about five ten years ago, it all started. But and those guys have moved on, but their successors have continued and there have been some uh, impressive fines they 've gotten the attention of companies that have uh, used spam in violation of of laws have uh, called people on the telephone in violation of the do not call laws and uh, as many people should know, there are credit reporting acts at the state level as well, and so when those are violated, attorneys general will step in and levy fines so that 's another resource for people. Uh, People should not forget the Consumer Protection Agency in uh, the state attorney general's office. They shouldn't forget the insurance commissioners. They shouldn't forget the Department of Business Regulation. Um, And in California, there is a privacy office also that does nothing but enforce privacy mandates involving the state. So those are other resources for people to go to.
1: And also there is such thing, you know, there's private attorneys. So, for example, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act and. A lot of state laws, for example, here in California, if your uh, privacy is violated, uh, especially when I think about background checks, those you have a private right of action, so you can actually go after a company that has violated your privacy if they haven't told you ahead of time about, that they're going to get a background check, if they haven't followed the rules on background checks. For employment, you have a private right of action as well. So
2: that's a very good observation. Yeah, and in addition, many courts are now saying that you don't necessarily have to prove uh, out-of-pocket damages uh, to collect. That the intrusion upon privacy is adequate for you to get damages. It, in a privacy case, it's quite often quite difficult to show that you actually have out-of-pocket uh, damages.
1: Right. Well, if you if you didn't get the job, you can show out a bucket of damages absolutely. and you also have emotional distress, you know, for for if you've lost credit or if you weren't able to buy that house and you know, you had to pay more for a loan because y- your privacy was invaded through, you know, violations of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So, there are times that you can get, you know, a private right of action as well. Right. So let's talk about this. I I sometimes get this question, I know you do too, about whether law enforcement can attach a little GPS monitor to your vehicle without you knowing about it. What about that?
2: Yeah, most people know about GPS inside the car um, on the dashboard, but there are also monitors that law enforcement can use just magnetizing it to your bumper or elsewhere, or in fact, just getting the identity of your vehicle and following it around. We don't know the answer to that question because the U.S. Supreme Court has that case and we'll decide it probably before the end of the year.
1: Doesn't that uh, so seem like know. yeah, a violation of the Fourth Amendment? You know, I mean, goodness gracious. Have, maybe my son is right. Maybe we have lost all private privacy. Well,
2: we're going to find out <laughs> soon enough. I mean, there's two ways of looking at this case. Um, and I'm participating right now in a brief uh, before the Supreme Court. Uh, privacy advocates are doing that to try to persuade the court. One way to look at it is that anything that happens in public is fair game and an automobile as it travels along the roads can be followed. Uh, But another way of looking at it, the one we want the court to look at, is that the framers of the Constitution never intended that 24-7 surveillance for more than 100 days would be adequate without a warrant. We want to insist that uh, law enforcement can go to a judge and get approval before uh, monitoring the uh, travels, even the travels of bad guys. And believe me, the person in uh, the Supreme Court Case is a bad guy, but it's a principle we're sticking up for, and we want the principle that uh, when new technology allows for constant 24-hour surveillance for many, many days and weeks, that uh, the founders intended that you go to court and get a warrant. Uh, Most of these warrants are approved, but the point is it establishes a paperwork trail so that if uh, there was some abuse, we can go back later and look at the warrant process. And just the fact of causing law enforcement to... Have the necessary preliminary evidence to persuade a judge that there's probable cause of a crime. Just that exercise helps to preserve our rights.
1: And, you know, Bob, you're so right. And it's not that hard to get a warrant for probable cause. So so it doesn't take that long. You can get one in the middle of the night if you absolutely have to, if you think somebody's going to leave. So, you know, I mean... There are some exceptions, but if you're doing it for a hundred days, it seems like you'd be able to get a warrant, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, and like you're right, you know. I mean, this—it's unfortunate that the bad guy. You know, this is a, people say, "Oh, get that bad guy," but. What if it was you or me? What You know, that they decide somebody just, let's say sometimes we have dirty cops that maybe their ex-spouse, they want to get them. So they go and they do the GPS. They want to see where they're going. Yeah, that has
2: happened. Yes,
1: exactly. And so if we always have the rule of law for everybody, then we're going to have safety. And obviously they had enough time to get this for this guy if he had 100 days.
2: Right. The case is U.S. v. Jones. People should be following that one.
1: Okie doke. Um, how about this? How about the router and my computer making my house a Wi-Fi spot? What about that?
2: It's a good thing for a convenience, certainly. Uh, I've noticed that um, in my house when I have guests, they like to sit in the living room and just tune in and why not? They can use the hotspot in my house and people should remember that your neighbors probably have hotspots and some of the kids that come to visit you may well be piggybacking off of those neighbors and Conversely, uh, your neighbor's guests may well be picking back off of yours. So it is a convenience. I suggest that people uh, have a have encrypted and that they uh, have a password. And whenever and whenever you check into a hotel, quite often uh, you're issued a password uh, for the uh, motel's hotspot. That that's so that others who are not staying at the hotel can't use it. So I suggest the same thing in your home: have a, uh, a, a password. Uh, for the router, and whenever your friends want to use it, just have it on a slip of paper that they can use.
1: Exactly, and then shred it afterwards so that they can't take it and get into it next door. Well, I know your they're... friends
2: might do that. My friends would never do
1: that. <laughs> well, we are out of time. Do you believe that, Bob? I mean, we could talk for hours and hours, and it's always such a treat to have you on. Thank so,
2: you so much. You've been so great in this field, and I really appreciate your work in this
1: Oh, and I appreciate your work. So give your website again before you go so everybody can. Yeah, dot
2: privacyjournal.net. And uh, the email is orders at privacyjournal.net.
1: Now, if they mention the show Privacy Piracy, you said you'd give them a free Absolutely. trial and a, Generous and
2: a discount, yes.
1: Yes terrific okay we will have you back again soon and Bob you take care all right
2: thank you all
1: right thank you you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net I'm Mari Frank join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy see our upcoming guests download podcasts listen to archived interviews and please write us emails about what's important to you or what concerns you have about privacy in the information age